welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself. Hello, and welcome back to the Spirit of the Camino podcast. I'm Wendy, and I'm here with Nick, and we have swapped seats today. I am in the main host seat and am taking the lead because I'm going to be interviewing Nick, who has just come back from his very first solo pilgrimage. So I'm going to ask him some questions about it, and we'll find out how it was. So hi, Nick. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's very good to be here on your show, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to being your guest. Great. So what was the solo pilgrimage? What did you do? What route did you take? So I walked for seven days on the Portuguese coastal Camino. And this is a Camino that starts in Porto. And you can walk along the coast for, you can sort of choose how much you want to walk along the coast. And then eventually at a certain point, you join back to the central and can continue to Santiago. And so there are several places where you can do this. Um, but what I chose to do was to stay on the coastal route uh, the entire time and walk to Vigo. And then shortly after Vigo, you walk to Redondela and then you join with the central route. So that's kind of the latest that you can rejoin the central route. And the reason that I did it was that Basically, we had come back from the Camino that we'd done earlier in the year, which we talked about in previous episodes. And I thought I had a couple of work possibilities. You had some work that you were doing uh, on a freelance basis from home. And then my work fell through. And then I kind of had this window of opportunity where you were working and I sort of didn't have that much to do because I'd been planning on, on doing this other work. And so I thought, hey, why don't I just go and walk this little Camino for a few days? And it was just an interesting thing of timing because we had talked about how we hadn't walked any of the coastal Caminos yet. And we talked in the first episode of this series after we walked the Hotel Vicentina that, you know, we sort of felt that that substituted for a coastal Camino. And then we didn't really feel the need to walk a coastal Camino after that. And then suddenly, I don't know, four months later, there I was walking a coastal Camino. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just sort of the circumstances that, that led to it. And then I didn't feel the need to continue back on the central because we've already walked that. And that last part of the central where I would have rejoined from the coastal, we've well, I've now walked that twice because I walked it with Darren uh, just a couple of months ago. And so it was just this opportunity where I thought, okay, I can do seven days of walking. It's easy for me to get to Porto from Lisbon. It's easy to get back from Vigo. And so it was just a little almost walking holiday that I decided to do. <laughs> yeah, and we'll talk about that a bit later as to whether you know, you view it more as a walking holiday or as a pilgrimage because it's a it's a route that we've known about for a long time and that a lot of people talk about, a lot of people do it, it's pretty popular, but I think we kind of had this idea that maybe it, it wasn't a real Camino or it didn't seem like a real Camino for us because it's all along the beach, or is it? Because there's also some confusing terminology, it seems like there are multiple different ways that you can take the the coastal, or there's also something called the Senda Litoral. So can you explain a little bit about what those, what the differences are? Yeah, and that was something that I was confused about even before I started. Um, and, you know, I mean, we read a lot about different Caminos, especially on the Camino Santiago Forum, and people often talk about and reference these two things, the Portuguese coastal and the Senda Litoral. And so the thing that some people may not be aware of is that the Portuguese coastal, while it's largely 
let's say, along the coast or near the coast, there are quite a few sections of it that go a little bit inland. And it's not far inland, but it's far enough inland that you don't see the coast anymore. You're a few kilometers inland and you're going through villages and, and whatnot in, in that area. And so the, the Senda Littoral is essentially paths that you can take that always stay along the coast. So at a certain point, if the Camino heads inland a bit, generally you can stay on the coast if you want to. But, you know, so I wouldn't consider these completely separate. They're kind of connected to each other. And then the, the actual official Portuguese coastal, you know, comes sort of in and out from the coast. And so then, you know, sometimes those two paths are the same when the Portuguese coastal is on the coast, and then sometimes they're not. Um, but one of the things that I was surprised about was that I felt that the Senda Littoral was really a kind of DIY Camino. It's not a situation where you reach a fork in the road and then there's arrows one way saying this is the Portuguese coastal, and arrows another way saying the Senda Littoral. It's really, you just kind of make up your own way almost on the Littoral. There's no arrows. And if you just have a, a map in, a, in an app on your phone, for example, maps.me, which we've been using lately, uh, you can see that there's trails. And if you have the tracks for the Portuguese coastal, um, you, can, you can see trails and you can see where it's going to meet up. Or you can get the tracks for the Senda Littoral that people have done. But I would say it's very unofficial, it certainly seemed to me. And it was quite funny because, you know, I didn't... No, at the beginning, I sort of asked some people, I think, on, on the forum, is this a, a whole separate thing or is it just a deviation a couple of times from the coastal? And then people gave me different answers to that. I kind of think in the end, it's a deviation a couple of times from the coastal. And so I had the tracks from Gronce, which is the Spanish website that we've talked about earlier in this series, um, G-R-O-N-Z-O-Z-E.com, Spanish website. And they gave the, the Senda Littoral as an alternative three different times, which wasn't the entirety of the options on the Senda Littoral. So I kind of thought it was just maybe one day or, or two days you have this choice of going on the Senda Littoral. It was quite funny that on the first day from Porto, you can walk to, I think, Matasinos. That's the main uh, Camino, the official Camino. But you can also walk along the river because Porto is on the Douro River and you can walk along the river to the point where the Douro reaches the ocean. And then you turn, so you're walking west along the river and then when you reach the end of the river, you turn right, and then you're along the coast. And so I took this alternative, and I didn't even really think that that would be considered the Senda Littoral. I just thought, oh, it's the river exit, right? Mm. And so I posted something on uh, in one of the Facebook groups, actually, at the end of the day, because I'd taken a photo at dawn of the cathedral in Porto in silhouette against the sunrise, and then I took a photo of sunset over the ocean in uh, where I was, which is Villa Chant, at the end of the first day. And then... It was interesting that the next day, a friend of the show, David Talon, wrote back because I'd said Portuguese coastal, and he wrote back and said, "Isn't this the Senda Littoral? You shouldn't, you, you shouldn't have reached the ocean by this point if you're on the Portuguese coastal." And I said, "Well, okay, I guess it is the Senda Littoral, but it was, you know, it, it was. It's very unofficial. There weren't any arrows uh, that mm. day until you get to Matasinhos. So you're walking on the on the river exit, and then that continued. Um, and so one of the days, which was my third day out of Esposend. I took the coastal, the, the official Portuguese coastal route, which was entirely inland, uh, for the whole day. And I actually really liked that day. Uh, it wasn't that there were great famous things or, or huge highlights, but I just found that day really interesting. Um, but apparently you can, you know, take the littoral if you want to. Again, you're just sort of making your own Camino on the coast, but it's very easy because you're just walking north along the coast. You can't really get lost. Mm -hmm. You just have the ocean to your left. Um, so I didn't take it that day. Then the next day I chose to take it. 
Uh, and then on, on that next day, that fourth day, they actually meet back up again about halfway through the day. And then finally on my last day, which was my seventh day from Bayona, this is in Spain by now, uh, finally there was actually this fork in the road with two options, a, a coastal and an inland. They didn't actually call it the Senda Litoral, and maybe they don't even call it that by the time you're in Spain, it's more of a Portuguese thing. But the whole thing is a little bit confusing. If The point is that if you're not prepared for this, you wouldn't really know about the Senda Litoral. Mm-hmm. And if you just followed arrows, then you would be taken away from the coast quite a bit. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but that's just where the Portuguese coastal happens to go. So it is something to be aware of. It's not always on the coast, but if you really want to be on the coast, you can do that through the Cinder Littoral. Interesting. Okay. And yeah, I can see how it would be pretty straightforward to find your own way because you're always going to know which direction to go. Although I'm thinking, like, comparing when we were doing the Hota Vicentina, there were times when we tried to walk along the beach because that seemed nice, but then we would get stuck because there were lots of headlands and very rocky areas, and sometimes the beach would just completely disappear, and, you know, you would either have to scramble along rocks or there was just no way out at all because the waves were just coming right up to the cliffs. So was it like that or what kind of coastal scenery was it? No, not at all. Uh, it's quite different. And on the Hota Vicentina, you walk on the actual beach more often. You know, when you're on the, even on the Senda Littoral or on the Portuguese coastal, you're walking kind of near the beach, but not on the beach. And a lot of times you're walking on boardwalks, which we're going to get to um, later as well. But it, it's quite different because it's flat. And so the cliffs and the headlands that you have on the Hota Vicentina, you don't have. And so, yeah, sometimes we would descend down because on the Hota Vicentina, you're mostly on these uh, cliffs and on these dunes above the ocean and you would descend down and sometimes it was hard to get back out again. Mm -hmm. And so it's nothing like that at all, really. You're just kind of at the very edge of the beach. And there are times when you can walk on the sand if you want to, but not at the level of the Hota Vicentina uh, at all. And so I would say that there are two main aspects of the actual coast scenery on the Portuguese coastal. The first is that there are beaches, and especially in Portugal, so about half of this was in Spain and half in Portugal. In the Portuguese section, the beaches were very packed with beachgoers. I walked at the end of August, so it's right at the height of beach tourist season mm-hmm. of the uh, Epica Balnear, as they call it in Portugal. Which is a really big thing in Portugal, particularly uh, among Portuguese people, everyone goes to the beach in August. So you could expect that most beaches will be pretty crowded at that time. Yeah, Europe-wide. In fact, yeah. August is when you go to the beach. Uh, and so that did sort of impact you know, I think some of these places that I went to, but basically every time you saw a patch of sand, it was packed with people. Mm. Um, and there were particular towns like Matosinhos, especially, Povo de Vazing and Vila Praia de Ankara. Those were the three main towns on the Portuguese side, which were quite heavy tourist beach towns. And personally, I didn't like them. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked through them quite quickly. I didn't stay in any of these towns. Um, and again, just because it was August, they, they were absolutely packed, you know, almost all hours of the day. And so that was on the Portuguese side. On the Spanish side, there were also some beaches, but there was much more low-key, especially on this last day. As I said, there was this option of the the coastal route on the last day, which I took. And yeah, there were beaches and there were some people there, but it seemed like they were local people or people from, you know, around the area. And there wasn't this kind of mass tourism. There weren't all these Mm. shops and all these Mm. pizza huts and all this other kind of stuff, you know, on on the beachfront. And so I liked those beaches more just because they seemed a bit more real, whereas the Portuguese people were, the Portuguese beaches rather were really, you know, holiday beaches and and Mm. those towns seemed pretty soulless to me and, and just there 
to service the, the beachgoers. But I would say most of the coast was just rocky uh, coastland where there weren't beaches and there wasn't sand and the water just came up to these rocks. And this is the kind of the kind of rocks where you can imagine there are lots of clams and oysters and um, things like that. And so sometimes you would see, in fact, quite often you would see locals out and they were clamming or going for oysters or, or whatever it was that they could find there. I could see them doing that. And so that was pretty much the majority, I think. It sort of alternated between these beaches and, and this rocky headland. And, you know, I would say that, you know, you and I both grew up near the ocean. Mm-hmm. I grew up very close to the ocean. I could walk to the beach in 20 minutes, 25 minutes from the house that I spent my entire childhood in. So we yeah, for me, it was more like a 45 minute car ride, but it was something that you could easily do on a weekend or a day off. And so we don't have that, that draw to the coast that some people do. If you grew up in, I don't know, Kansas, then maybe seeing the ocean is, you know, something amazing. Um, you know, I would say that I didn't find this coastal scenery amazing and compared especially with the Hotta Vicentina. And so we talked about this in our first episode, but that was spectacular coastal scenery with yeah. cliffs and headlands, and you had all this, these rock formations coming out of the water and coming out of the sand, and you had these coves and bays, and you, the water sometimes was this amazing green or an amazing blue, and that was really spectacular. I didn't find this scenery that spectacular, but I wasn't there for that, so I didn't even mind that. Um, it was nice mm-hmm. to be near the ocean, to have the sea breeze, to, to hear the sounds of the waves. Um, so I enjoyed it, even though I think that the, the actual coastal scenery is overrated. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's, you know, it's amazing to see this coast. And I didn't find it amazing visually, but I still actually enjoyed the Camino quite a lot. Okay, interesting. It's also interesting to me that you said that the beaches were not as packed in Spain because I know that there are some beaches in Galicia that are very, very popular in summer season. I haven't been to them because, as you can probably tell anyone who's listening to this and has listened to past episodes, we're not beach people. Um, and so maybe we're a little bit snobby, you know, we kind of look down on beach holidays and that's probably a big part of why we have not wanted to do this Camino before because we've thought, oh, it's just it's just a walk along the beach and people just want to go to the beach. And um, so it's kind of turned us off in the way, whereas for many people it would it would be an attraction. It would be uh, a reason for them to want to to choose this Camino. Um, but from what you said, maybe if what they want is coastal scenery, they're better off on the Hotel Vicentina. Oh, absolutely. I would recommend that a, a thousand percent. And, you know, a lot of people say, because a lot of people decide that they want to do the Portuguese way. And I see on the Camino forums, a lot of people say, right, I'm going to do the Portuguese way. I don't know which one to do, coastal or, or central. Mostly what people recommend is they say, well, what you can do is you can walk a couple of days on the coast and then you can rejoin the central and then you kind of get the best of both worlds. But I sort of think if you do that, if you're starting, if you start in Matosinhos, for example, you can take the metro from Porto to Matosinhos or you can walk either one of these two ways to get there. You know, Matosinhos for me was the, the least attractive of the beach towns. There's a lot of industry right on the beach and, and you can see it. All the, all the people are there on the beach and you can see all this industrial, uh, these cranes and, and silos and things like that. So I didn't really get that place myself, but I kind of thought the way that people tend to often recommend is to say, okay, if you walk maybe one day on the coast, then you can head back inland. And I just tend to think that that one day at the beginning is not really worth doing. Mm. Um, 
myself unless again if you really really want to see the ocean and just seeing water and sand is really powerful and meaningful then go for it um, but if you have extra time i would say go and walk a couple of days even three four days on the Hotta Vicentina mm -hmm. uh, south of Lisbon spend a couple of days in Lisbon and then go to Porto and walk the central and then you get better coastal scenery and then you get the entire central as well I mean, that would be my suggestion <music> And so if you said that uh, you're not walking on the actual beach, on the sand that often, what kind of surfaces are you walking on? I've seen photos of boardwalks. So can you tell us about the boardwalks? Is that a big part of it? Yeah, the boardwalks are a big part of it. And I had the impression actually that it would be an even bigger part of it. But basically on the Portuguese side, you are often walking on these boardwalks. So they're wooden planks, uh, they're roped at either side, and they're raised above um, the the actual ground which can be small which can be sandy areas sometimes sand dunes but not sand dunes in the way that the Hotta Vicentina was where there were these really large sand dunes but these boardwalks exist you know for walkers but it's also a way for the beachgoers to get to and from uh, different sections so basically starting at Matasinos which is again this first um, major tourist spot on this Camino for the next couple of days you're walking quite a lot on the boardwalks and I thought the whole thing would be boardwalks, but really, my memory is that it was only really on these two days. Um, there were some on the days after that, and again, as I said earlier, I walked inland on one of the days, so I don't know if there were boardwalks on that day. Um, but you are walking on these boardwalks quite a lot. And when you're there, it, it was quite interesting because on the first day, it was a, a very sunny day. Uh, there were lots of people at the beach, and, and the area around Mantasinos was, was you know, really packed. And you know, I got to Mantasinos at 9, 9.30 in the morning, but everybody was, was already out, you know, they're not a late arriving people to the beach in, in those parts. Um, and so you're walking on the boardwalks and there's a lot of people and there's people walking the other way from you. And it was, it's a little bit, it's just a little bit strange because, you know, on the Camino, sometimes you're, you're not really used to traffic if it's not other pilgrims. Um, and what I mean is, is foot traffic. Right, yeah. You know, sometimes if you're on a popular Camino, okay, there are other pilgrims. Um, sometimes there are people walking in the other direction, or sometimes there are locals uh, out on the path sometimes. But this was a lot of people. And it's just unusual because you're, you're in the minority. You know, mm -hmm. you're the kind of the, the pilgrim with your backpack and, and, and a different type of clothes. And you have all these, you know, young, beautiful people, you know, in their swimwear kind of walking past you and, and you just feel a bit out of place. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's a bit strange. And, you, and you're kind of locked in with these boardwalks. You, you can't really get off them. Like once you've sort of chosen to go down that boardwalk, then you have to stay on it until the next exit. Mm -hmm. And that was another unusual thing, because often when you're on the Camino, you're on a narrow path and often you can't really get off it if you're in a forest or something like that but that's a natural path and this was a you know human-made path um, that sort of restricts where you can go and if you're trying to get away from um, a lot of people then you can't really do it mm -hmm. so that was my experience on the first day and I actually really enjoyed the first morning going on the river walk and then coming uh, to the town which is called Foz de Duro which is right where the river meets the ocean and so I was really enjoying the first few hours and then I got to this part and I liked it a lot less but it was okay and then at a certain point you know these beaches north of Mantasinos began to peter out and the people began to peter out and then there weren't so many people in the in the latter part of the stage and I stayed in this uh, village called Villechamp which is a, a fishing village and it was quite low-key and I enjoyed that for that first evening and then the next day, it was again largely on boardwalks, but it was very misty and foggy in the morning. And it was a completely different experience, also because I left 
you know, much earlier or the boardwalk started much earlier because they started as soon as I started my day, which was at about seven in the morning. And so I was walking on these boardwalks and they were kind of wet. Mm. And there, and it was just an area where even though the boardwalks were there, the, the popular beaches were not. So I'm not quite sure why the boardwalks are there, but the people who I was seeing, and there were just only a handful of people, were local people walking their dogs or running on the boardwalks for exercise. And that was really weird. It was a really interesting contrast with the day before where, you know, the, the, it was sunny and hot and there were all these people and suddenly it was cool and damp and there were no people. Mm. And not a lot of people stay in Villa Chant in terms of the pilgrims. Uh, most people stay in a, a town that's a little bit further back. So I was out of sync with everybody else. So I was kind of walking by myself for the first couple of hours, except for just these handful of locals. And I really enjoyed that. It was a strange contrast with the day before, but I, this was a solo Camino. I knew that's what I was getting. And then this um, was the first time perhaps on this morning of the second day where I really felt that even though I was on the boardwalks, there was nobody else there. And I, I quite liked that. Cool. Okay. So besides the uh, fewer numbers of beachgoers in Spain, did you notice any other differences when you crossed the border, like just comparing the time that you spent in Portugal with the time that you spent in Spain? Yeah, I mean, there's always differences when you get to Spain. It always feels more like the Camino when you're in Galicia. There's always more signs of the Camino, and that's not just better waymarking. For example, there are mojones as soon as you cross, and there aren't mojones on the, on the Portuguese side. Mojones are the... Um, stone kind of pyramidal markers that you see in Galicia, which not only have arrows and shells, but also the distance to Santiago. Um, and so the way that you cross into Galicia is by boat, because the river, which is the Minho River in, in Portugal, uh, spelled M-I-N-H-O, and the Minho in Spain, M-I-N-Y-O, uh, this is the border in this part of, of the region between Portugal and Spain. So for example, if you walk the Portuguese Central, you walk across the Minho River, uh, on this bridge between Valença and Tui, mm -hmm. but there's no bridge from Camino, which is on the Portuguese side, to Aguarda, which is on the Spanish side, and so you can take this boat. And the river's not super wide. You just take this this motorboat, and there's boats for pilgrims. And I I don't know if there's local people who take this boat. I mean, I assume you can drive a little bit further down, and there's a bridge, but it's not practical for pilgrims because it's too far. So there's certainly a couple of companies that, that run boats and they just basically run them back and forth as long as there's um, demand in the morning because a lot of people stay in Camina. Although a lot of people also do stay in Aguarda on the, on the other side, so they must run this boat in the afternoon as well. Do you um, have to wait for it to fill up? I didn't. I, they, they do say that they have a timetable and so it was on the mm. half hour or on the hour. And so I arrived, I think, just in time and they were actually just about to leave and did start leaving and then I kind of waved and then they, they stopped. I had to go and buy my ticket from a, a lady in a booth. So you arrive in Spain and it's just a little bit different. You have better signage and you just feel that you're in Galicia, you're in the, the land of the Camino de Santiago. I felt that in Spain it was more low-key. Uh, in terms of the tourism, just in that particular area. And like you say, there are other beaches in Galicia maybe that are, that are really packed, but I didn't really see those on this particular part of Galicia. Mm -hmm. So I felt that most of the heavy tourism was on the Portuguese side. I mean, there, there was some other type of tourism in Spain. Oya and Bayona are the two kind of major destinations that are between the, the, the border and Vigo. And there were local to Spanish tourists who were in those areas, but they weren't just purely beach tourists. 
Mm -hmm. uh, Bayona has a couple of little city beaches, but it has a castle and it has some other things, and it's quite a it's a touristy place, Bayona really. But it's a it's a nice place. There's a, a long kind of uh, corniche, you know, along the water, and there's all these boats you can look at and things like that. And Oya has a, a famous monastery that we'll talk about in, in a minute. And so there were people there. And I think there was a concert the night that I was there in the monastery. But you know, when you get to Galicia, you're closer to, to Santiago, and I just started to see things that were more reminders of the Camino. You know, there was one point where I got to one of these Mahones and there was a rock garden there that somebody or, or a group of people had spent a lot of time creating and they'd painted a lot of these rocks with little slogans encouraging people and, and things like that. And, and you just see something like that and it just makes you smile a bit and you know, reminds you that you're on the Camino. Um, you know, you walk past sometimes some little paintings that are on the walls of houses or a shell that's hanging down or, or something like that. So you see these just these reminders of the Camino because it's just more part of that culture and that land than it is in, in Portugal. And so how about, you know, sites to see along the way? You mentioned that there's a monastery in Oya, so I'm imagining, um, I imagine that that's one of the main highlights. Are there others? Are there other things to see besides just coastal scenery? There are a few things to see. I would say there aren't these places that are incredible must-sees. And I think if you go on the Portuguese Central, maybe you see more of that. You see churches like in, in Tui, for example, that's a famous fortified, you know, Romanesque church. Uh, and so there wasn't really anything like that, maybe apart from this monastery at, at Oya. But in Barcelos, for example, you have historical attractions there. Um, and even the monastery that we stayed in that, that first night uh, on the Portuguese Central out of Porto at mm -hmm. uh, Verão, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And so there, there weren't so many things like that, but there were a few things. There are quite a lot of forts on the Portuguese side, at least four that I can think of. And these aren't, these are kind of, well, they're forts, right? So they're not castles in the way that the castle of Bayona is or in the way of the castles, I don't know, let's say in Ponferrara on the Camino Frances or the castles that we described last year on the Camino Nascente. They're just uh, smaller forts. Um, but they were quite interesting and the first one in Foz do Duro on the first morning I actually really liked because I didn't even really know about it I just was looking at a map and I saw that there was a fort and I said oh, okay I can go and check this out and I don't know if it's open and it was open but there wasn't a ticket that you had to buy or anything and it was kind of interesting that they just I guess at a certain time in the morning they just open the door and then they someone opens the door and then they just leave and so I walked around and saw that it was open and went in and I was the only person there and I really liked just scrambling around this fort and there was a ruined church in the inside and I thought it was really cool. And so there were a few other forts like that. There were on the fourth day, which is leaving Viana do Castelo, I walked the so-called Senda Litoral that day and there are these mills, which I guess, I mean, I guess are windmills. I don't have the actual... The sails. The actual sails uh, anymore, but they, they're not water mills even though they're right on the water, they must be windmills, um, but they're not They're not working windmills at the moment. And one of them is restored and, and the other three were not, or had been restored maybe quite some time ago, but one of them was restored quite recently. And I really liked those because you had the backdrop of the water and that was really nice. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the monastery at Oya, I think, is the main site. And I really liked it. It's a ruined monastery. The exact founding date isn't really known, but it dates more or less from the 12th century, or it's, it's historically dated to the 12th century. But it's had different additions uh, placed on it uh, since then. And I found that, I found that really nice um, because you go on this tour, you can only visit it by guided tour and there are some parts that you can't access because it's in ruins and some parts and perhaps not really safe. They're, you know, they have scaffolding holding things up and, and stuff like that. Um, but you go into the cloister and the cloister is a bit later from the 16th century, but it, it was quite interesting that 
the vaulting on the cloister looked very gothic. It was this ribbed vaulting which you see in gothic uh, architecture, which is you know a couple of hundred years earlier. And so the guide said you might think that this looks gothic, and it kind of is gothic because gothic, you know, as we know, began in in France around Paris, and it took quite a while to get to Spain, and even longer to get all the way to Galicia. And so at the time of the 16th century, when they built this cloister, most of the rest of Europe had moved on from Gothic style, but that was still a little bit in vogue in, in this sort of corner, this outpost of Galicia at the time. And so there was a little bit of medieval influence there, which I thought was cool. But basically in front of the monastery, you have this, what they call a patio, where there are some trees and they call it the Patio de las Armas. And there's a wall next to it. And this is where there were cannons um, and there are gaps in the wall, there are kind of crenellations in the wall and so you can see where cannons would have been placed and this is obviously post-medieval because that's when cannons were invented but um, it was where the monks would fire cannons on pirates because the monastery is right on the sea and if you know pirate ships would come up they could fire cannons there and so being in this in this little patio and the cannons aren't there anymore but you can see where they would have been and that that patio is kind of a path and that was the Camino huh. and a guide said that the people walking the Camino at this time would stay at the monastery you know they would ask for shelter and they, and mm -hmm. they would get it there and you can't so, stay there now you can't stay there now because it's in ruins it's privately owned and no but it's not it's not set up for that and there's a, a very interesting history of it later it became a concentration camp during the Spanish Civil War as well and you can see some some remnants of that and it, it was a palace as well so it's had this very interesting history throughout its throughout its its life but that was the part where I felt that the Camino came alive a bit because you could imagine these pilgrims you know walking on this path and you could see imagine these pirate ships right off the coast um, and, and the monks, monks firing, firing cannons. cannons I mean I just thought that was that was really evocative and, and really cool so I, I did really like that monastery I thought that was yeah perhaps the historical or the cultural highlight of this Camino yeah it sounds really cool so what about towns? You mentioned that there were some, you know, resort type coastal beach towns that you didn't think much of, but were there some nice towns that you did like? Yeah, there were. And it was interesting, especially on the Portuguese side, that it was almost hit or miss that way. Yeah, you'd have these beach towns and then maybe the next one, if it didn't have a beach or if it was slightly inland, then it wouldn't be a, a big tourist town and, a, and a, had a completely different feel to it. And it felt more like the Portugal you know, that we know. And so it was kind of unusual to go back and forth between these two different types of places. So the ones I mentioned as the, as the real beach towns, Matasinhos, uh, Povo de Vazin, and uh, Vila Praia de Ankara. The, the interesting thing about the Vila Praia de Ankara is that I walked through it and, and didn't think much of it. It was a beach town and, and so I just walked through on the Camino. I wasn't planning to stay there. It was in the middle of my stage. And so I, I dismissed this and I read something just a couple of days ago after I had already been through and someone said, oh, we love Vila Praia de Ankara. There's an albergue set way back from the beach at the end of town and it's kind of a farm slash albergue and you can stay there in this sort of farmhouse and there's a lookout point that you climb up these steps to and we really loved it and i thought that was interesting because i'd already sort of formed this opinion that these three towns in particular were not worth visiting or not worth staying in because that was just my experience walking through and again a little bit of the bias that i had wanting to discover more of what i see as the authentic towns rather than the beach towns mm -hmm. um, but then that made me think a little bit you know, and it's just interesting. Everybody's Camino is different, right? Yeah. And so I wouldn't recommend staying in these towns, but apparently in this one in particular, there's this nice place you can stay away from the beachfront and you're suddenly you're, you're not caught up in that beach aspect of the town and it's a lot more traditional and it, it sounded quite nice, um, but that was something that I wasn't aware of and, and that I missed. 
So on the Portuguese side, apart from these towns, Viana do Castelo is, is the main town. I guess it's almost a small city or a large town, let's say. And so that's got a nice historical core with some churches and there's a church on a, on a hilltop that you can go up to. You can take a funicular up there and then you have views uh, over the ocean. And so that's an obvious end of stage destination. One of the things that, that I did, I looked at some stage guides before I left and on Gronse, for example, they had four stages from Porto to get to Viana do Castelo. And I knew that I wanted to stay in Viana do Castelo, but I thought that those stages were a little bit short and I wondered if I could do it in three stages and I did. And these were, I mean, depending on how much each person likes to walk, these were pretty long stages. Uh, one of them was about 31 and the other two were 25, 26, I believe. So 226 and 131. But I wanted to do this in three days instead of four, just for some reason I set myself that kind of goal, but I wanted to stay in Viana to Castello. So you you can do four kind of quite nice uh, slowish days or shortish days, or you can do three longer days, or you can not stay there at all and, and, and do something in between. But I think that's a town that's worth staying in. The other one that I really liked was Caminha, which is the last town in Portugal before you cross the river into Spain. And so that's an obvious place to stay as well because you can take the boat in the morning. Um, and it's just a little town, but it has a nice main square and it, and it was it was one of those villages that's really thriving. And I mean, maybe a village is, is too... It's more like a town, um, but it's not a large town. And you can't imagine that there's huge uh, numbers of, of jobs or prospects for young people and whatever, but it's a thriving town. And there's a nice square and the locals are all out, you know, the bars and the restaurants in this main square. And I thought that was really nice. I really liked that. So now the big question, um, we have, you know, like, We've discussed this time and also in, probably in previous episodes, you know, we've had our own prejudices and biases against this Camino because we felt like it, you know, in some ways wasn't a real Camino. And you going into it, I think you kind of had this question in your head too, like, am I going to treat this as a Camino or am I just going to treat it as a, a walking holiday? So what was your final verdict? Does it feel like a Camino? That's a, well, that's the million dollar question. And that was sort of the question that I was posing to myself every day as I was going. And I even said I'd put something on, um, on social media the day before I started saying, you know, is this a Camino? And I said, I, I suspect that a lot of it depends on, on your own attitude as you go into it. And the, in the end, that was actually my conclusion that if you want it to be a Camino, it is a Camino. Mm, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I just came in with this unusual kind of attitude. As you said, we've sort of not been drawn to this Camino in the past, but I said, okay, I'm going to do it. Uh, and I'm going to go in with an open mind and, you know, I'm just, it's not a trip of a lifetime for me. It's just something that, as I said at the beginning, I had the opportunity to do. And so I'll just enjoy the walking and enjoy whatever it is that comes. And so I think you have choices that you can make that are going to make it more or less of a Camino. If you take the Senda Litoral at every opportunity and stay in some of these uh, beach towns on the beach, then it's not really going to feel like a Camino, I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, but if you take the, the interior route sometimes, and if you try to stay in, in some of these more traditional villages, then yeah, for me, it, it did feel like a Camino. The third day where I mentioned that I took the, the inland route, I was walking, I, I really quite enjoyed this day, and there wasn't anything really special about it, but it, it felt like a Camino to me. And it was the, really the first time, you know, on that, uh, on that Camino that it did because these first two days I was walking as I've mentioned along the coast on these boardwalks and the third day no boardwalks all in the interior and at one point I suddenly hit this forest and it was the first forest of the Camino 
And I was kind of lost in my own thoughts. I was walking by myself and suddenly I sort of looked around and I thought, hey, I'm in a forest here. And it was really nice. And there was a river nearby and I could hear it and then eventually I could see it and eventually I crossed it. Um, and the forest itself, it wasn't anything great by Camino standards. You know, there was eucalyptus and, you know, it wasn't this amazing old growth forest like some of the other ones that, that we've been in and talked about. But suddenly I was in it and I thought, this is the Camino for me. This is what mm -hmm. the Camino is, um, to be in a place like this, to be kind of isolated, rural, forest, rivers. Um, it felt really familiar to me. So I really, really enjoyed that, uh, probably more than, than I should have. But that gave me a communal feel. And then there were just some other churches later in that day that, including one that had an inscription related to Santiago from the ninth century, which is the oldest inscription outside of Galicia that's related to Santiago. So it shows the diffusion of the veneration of Santiago outside of Galicia, even though it's very close to Galicia, uh, even as far back as then, 862, I think is the, the date of the inscription. Um, so you see something like that and it connects you more with the Camino. So I felt in the end that, uh, that it did. You know, it also depends on places that you choose to stay in. Uh, the first few nights I was in private accommodation and then later I was in some albergues and then so you meet some other pilgrims and and you know whenever you meet pilgrims you feel like you're on the Camino yeah um, so in the end you know I, I would say yes you, you make your own Camino and you know it's not as traditional or historic as say the Portuguese Central or, or other Caminos that you can walk but if you choose to do this one um, make of it what you will and then you'll get out of it what you want or what you hope for yeah I think that's a really good attitude so would you say, I mean, you've said that, you know, this was not a trip of a lifetime, a once in a lifetime opportunity for you because we live very close by and it was just a spur of the moment decision for you. Okay, I'm just going to do this little thing. But for someone who is coming from far away and perhaps saving up for a long time and they might only get one shot at the Camino, would you recommend that they choose the coastal or the central? Or do you think there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer for that? Yeah, maybe there isn't a one-size-fits-all. I mean... I think, as I said, a lot of people do recommend that you do a little bit of the coastal and then move on to the central, and that, that's an option if you want. It just depends on how much you really want to see the ocean and walk along the ocean, basically. As I said, I don't really think the scenery is spectacular myself. Uh, again, maybe that comes from having just been in the Hot de Vicentina really recently and it being really, truly spectacular down there, or the fact that you know I grew up on on beaches, and, and these are beaches in Sydney and the northern beaches of Sydney that are you know some of the... I don't know, some of the most famous urban beaches in the world, I think. And so I, I guess I have, maybe I have high standards when it comes to, to beaches. But if you really want to see the, the coast, then, then go for it. You know, as I said, if you have more time, I would recommend trying to do a little bit of the Hot de Vicentina and then just doing the central. Um, but, you know, you can mix and match. And I think that's part of the appeal of it. You know, some people will only do maybe one day on the coastal or at Camino, which is where it joins with where uh, the last town in Portugal before you reach Spain, you can then head inland from there. And then that gets you to Valencia and Tui, and then mm -hmm. you can cross there. And those are cool things to not to miss, I think, on the central. So maybe that's an option to go in at Camino, because I think if you go in earlier at Villa du Conde or one of these other towns, I, I think you're... I don't know, I just think you've only spent maybe one day on the coast and it's maybe not the best of the coast. And so I really liked this fourth day that I did with the mills. I thought that was kind of the most enjoyment I got out of the coast. And not because the coast there was particularly beautiful. It was, again, this rocky coast with people clamming, but there were a couple of forts and the mills. And I, I liked that, those little historical aspects right on the coastline. Or you can continue the entire way on the coast as I did and then continue, uh, join at Redondela and go from there. 
it's hard to say. I don't think there's one size fits all, um, but you do have several different options for how long you can stay on the coast if you want to. So yeah, the choice is, is yours. Yeah. All right, good. I think that's a, a good way to end it. Thank you very much for sharing your experience. It was fun to hear it, you know, vicariously through you, having not experienced it myself this time. But I think you described it very well, so I've got a good image in my head now of what it's like. So you don't have to walk it. I don't have to, no. <laughs> no, I'm not opposed to walking it. Maybe I'll walk it someday, but, you know, we do have lots of other routes that are higher up on the list for us in terms of priorities and especially now that you've already done this one it would have to be you know stars aligning in the right way where i had this opportunity to do this on my own we'll see maybe that will happen maybe it won't but in any case i've now got a good understanding of it and hopefully our listeners do too so thank you for coming on the show nick thank you for having me and uh, until next time bon camino and buen camino Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Spirit of the Camino. Buen Camino.